Okay, top five signs you're called to be a priest. One, you were a saint as a kid, never did anything wrong, and your mom would tell all her friends that you were the perfect angel. Two, you easily forsake all sports and games, fun with friends and streaming binges to always pray the rosary. Three, Jesus and the saints visit you in dreams. Four, you're really good at beginning speeches with a cheesy joke. And five, you think you look good in the color black. Okay, so that's not really how it works. In fact, I know some seminary directors who would probably tell you to get some more life experience and human formation if you fit the bill for some of those things on that list. It's okay if you weren't the perfect kid. Just ask Father Andrew Merrick, pastor of St. John the Evangelist Catholic Church in Prairieville in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. So, this was early middle school, probably fifth grade. We, me and some of my friends, would, either our parents or our grandparents, we would take their cologne and perfume and mix it all together so that it was just really pungent, smelling stuff. And then we would sneak into the classroom and pour it underneath the teacher's desk so that it was so pungent smelling that the teacher couldn't stand it. And we had to have class outside. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh man, what a perfect angel. We'll hear more about Father Andrew in a bit, but if that little taste is any indication, then maybe God calls all sorts of people to be priests. The kid who pulled pranks on your middle school teacher, the high school jock, the band geek, the computer programmer, the longtime warehouse manager. In fact, it seems clear that the real indicator that you're called to be a priest is simply that. You've been called. People often talk about the word vocation, but that word is etymologically related to the Latin vocare, which means to call. Vocations aren't just things you're good at or jobs you'd like to have. No, vocations are calls from the heart of Jesus, spoken from his lips, when he looks upon you. Yeah, maybe actually you, and says, come follow me. If that's the case, then he could literally call anyone. Okay, so not everyone. You do have to be a male between the ages of 17 and 55, get a high school diploma, be of relatively sound mental, spiritual, emotional, and psychological stability. And at least in the Roman Rite, barring extraordinary circumstances, you can't be married. But those are just the basic requirements. That leaves open a wide world of people the Lord might call. In the Gospels, Jesus called tax collectors and fishermen, ordinary guys, all sinners, to be apostles. I mean, he even called a man responsible for the death of many of his fellow Jews, Saul of Tarsus, to follow him. And this kind of seemingly extravagant selection process has continued from biblical times throughout history. Some of the most well-known saints, like St. Augustine, have spotted pasts. 
For others, their pasts are just plain ordinary. Blessed Solanus Casey was born on a Wisconsin farm and later worked as a logger, hospital orderly, prison guard, and streetcar operator before he eventually became a Franciscan priest in Detroit. And do you know how he made his claim to saintly fame? As a doorkeeper. Yeah, the guy who literally opened the door for people who came to the friary. So, in this B-side of the Dunce's Corner, Catherine and I sit down with an ordinary guy that the Lord sought after and called to himself by name, that he might live a life of priestly sacrifice and service for the people of God. This is the vocation story of Father Andrew Merrick, and it all starts in a town called New Roads that lines what's known as the False River, just northwest of Baton Rouge. So I am from New Rose, Louisiana. People, a lot of folks know where that is. They say all roads lead to new roads. I mean, we, folks, we love being from where we're from. But my little brother calls it paradise. People ask, how do you get there? And I say, on the, on the way to heaven, like right before you get to the <laughs> gates, if you turn right, it's right there. Uh, like, that's it. It's a fun place to grow up, rural Louisiana. Uh, in between the Mississippi River and False River, which is a lake. Grew up hunting, fishing, playing sports, doing boy stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So what do you, describe to me your first introduction to the faith. Like, what was your faith life when you were a kid? Like, how do you remember that? Yeah, great. I come from a very Catholic town. In, in Louisiana, and my family is also Catholic. So I was baptized as a child, and from as early as I knew, as I remember, we were praying at night. My mom would be the one to lead the prayers with me and my brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. So we'd be praying at night. We I went to Catholic school for 13 years, so from kindergarten through 12th grade, got a lot of Catholic school. Went to mass on the weekends. Um, and I feel like I always had a, a spiritual disposition um, as a in general, but the faith never penetrated very deeply. It was very much a part of like the culture that I grew up in, but not to the extent of where it was supremely transformative in my life. I definitely involved in a lot of quote unquote extracurricular activities that I shouldn't have been involved in. Um, but again, I was, I believed in the Lord. He, I believe that he was real. It had some impact in my life, but not, not transformational for sure. I actually, funny thing is I have, like I said, I have two brothers. My older brother was an altar boy. It became my turn. And my mom's like, Hey, it's your turn to be an altar boy. And I'm like, Nope. And she's like, yes, you are. I'm like, no, I'm not. And I, I don't know how I won that, but I won that. And uh, so I'm the one of my, the three of us that wasn't an altar boy and I end up being the priest, you know? So it's, it's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> Can I ask a question? So like, yeah. um, you know, a lot of kids end up getting labeled by their friends where they're, they're like a band geek and you're a nerd yeah, yeah. and a jock or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like what would have the kids back then said you were? <laughs> okay. So 
I was definitely I was definitely like the athlete fun guy uh, but also yeah I mean I also did well in school as well too so I think your general kind of country boy who wasn't a superstar athlete but athletic and who was fun to be around. Going back to like the altar boy thing, like was there a specific reason why you were like, no, nah, it's not for me? I just, I, I thought I was too cool to be an altar boy. I'm like, no, um, I, I don't remember it a lot, mm-hmm. but I do remember thinking I'm too cool for that. Like cool dudes don't do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> So, Andrew, as he was known at this point, was a good kid, smart, athletic, well-liked. And he grew up like a lot of good kids do, having fun, making the grades when it counted, and maybe dabbling a bit here and there with some things his parents wished he wouldn't. Andrew carried this combination of being the generally good kid who also did a few, shall we say, less noble things, into college, where he attended the massive state school LSU. While there, a professor told him that you could either study or party, but not both. But he was determined to defy that prognostication, and he succeeded. He was living the life, doing fine at school, partying on the weekends, usually going to church on Sundays, and throwing up a quick Our Father Hail Mary and Glory Be every night before bed, and then doing it all over again. He stuck to the pattern until one particular Sunday morning, something felt different. I distinctly remember waking up one day. Uh, This is my sophomore year, so this would be fall of 2000. And it is the Sunday morning, about 11, 11.30, uh, like a eager college student on a Sunday morning, right? Um. And it is the Sunday after the second home football game of LSU season that year. And I remember waking up <clears throat> and outside of the typical kind of, you know, hangover, right? That's there. I feel this deep interior emptiness that I never really tangibly felt. I could look back afterwards and reflect upon like seeing how it was it was there or present in some way but it was this moment where i realized now in god's providence he's like hey i'm gonna let you feel this and so i felt it this deep interior emptiness and it just it was confusing to me i'm like okay i've never really felt this like this heavy or this present like what is this and so i was a little bit of a problem solver i'm like all right what's the problem? Like, like, I'm just going to sleep this off. So I try to sleep it off, can't sleep it off. Okay, so maybe it's a bigger issue, right? So I'm like, is it school? No, doing well in school. Relationship? No, like where I want to be there. Friends, having a blast. Uh, family, like family life wasn't perfect, but it was good. Financially, I was really blessed. Um, health-wise, I was really blessed. I could look at so many of my close friends who were dealing with really significant things in their lives um, that I, I didn't really have. 
And I, I was like, man, like, for 19 years old, a lot of people would want my life. Like, they really would. The only thing that I could really ask for more is being all SEC safety on LSU's team. And um, that's not going to happen. So, like, what's the deal? And really, the last thing on the list, I actually started to kind of remember. Like, the Lord brought to my mind these memories of little retreats that we had been on through school or how put on. And I just remember like, man, they, there was something there that I realized was good and, and kind of drew my heart um, that I never like, it would just kind of like come for that moment or that day and be gone. And so I said, okay, God, maybe what I'm missing is you. Like, I know you're real. And I believe in you, but I don't know how that's supposed to make my life different. And we both know that I'm not living my life the way that you would want me to. Um, so I've tried all this other stuff. And um, really because that, I had been in a long relationship. And so the three, four months prior to this moment, I, I, that relationship had ended, and so I was kind of um, pressing a little bit more into the fun scene. And so, the um, just in that moment, I said, "Okay, God, I, like I've tried all the other stuff, and it's clearly not working. So maybe what I'm missing is you. I need you to come into my heart and do something different." I, mean, I remember that prayer was just that basic and that simple and that's what I was like I need you to come into my heart and do something different I need you to come into my heart and do something different In Psalm 51 we hear the voice of David the great Israelite king right after a grievous sin in this song of repentance, David tells the Lord, You have no delight in sacrifice. Were I to give you a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. Rather, the acceptable sacrifice is my broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Today, we might translate David's words into something like, All of those rote prayers I memorized as a kid, and all of the things we do at Mass, you gave those things to us, Lord, so we can worship you. But I'm just going through the motions. And you don't want me just going through the motions. You want my heart. Andrew has just had his David moment. Would God listen? At that moment, some of the kind of mess and that feeling, that emptiness started to fade. And I was like, okay just kind of sitting there. And then a friend of a friend really knocks on my door. So the guy, he grew up near me. We went to different schools. He was a little bit older than me. His name's Chad. Um, we had recently been hanging out because we had a mutual friend, uh, maybe the past. I really don't know how long that summer we had kind of hung out here and there, but I know as school had started, we were kind of hanging out together, going to the football games together and stuff. But we never hung out one-on-one. -on -one. So he's knocking on my door, and I'm like, 
he's clearly looking for our mutual friend because there's no reason he's just coming knock on my like to my house. So he opens up the door and he's like, I'm like, hey man, you looking for Trent? And he's like, no, I'm just in the neighborhood. I decided to stop by. And I immediately thought to myself, that's kind of weird. Because my neighborhood, Papa John's is not in here. Kane's is not in here. Nothing is in here except the 40-something houses that are that you drive and you make a circle and you leave. And so I'm like, that's kind of weird, but whatever. Come in, you know. I'm a polite guy. Here you are. So we're talking about the football game, all these different things. And he asked me, he says, what are you doing this evening? And I said, well, I'm going to go to church. He said, me too. Do you want to go together? And I said, yeah, great. I said, okay, well, let's call our, our other friend. I said, let me call Jacob. You know, sometimes we go to, we go to church together. So we end up, I think we're coming to Christ the King. And we actually end up at what was at the time called the ring. It was based at Parkview Baptist here in town. And it was a number of recent college grads who had started like a non-denominational service for college students. So I realized when we're driving across town, I'm like, okay, well, we're not going where I thought we were going, but whatever. And then when we get to Parkview, I'm like, we're definitely not going where I thought we were going. Like, Circumstance or Providence? Andrew makes a prayer for God to do something different in his life, and out of nowhere this friend of a friend shows up, and next thing you know, they're in a car pulling up to a Protestant service. So what happened? He sat in the back the whole evening. In his words, he could tell that he wasn't one of them. But on the other hand, watching their joy and passion for the Lord was extremely attractive, and he wanted it. At the end of the evening, this friend of a friend, Chad, had another invitation. So we go home and then Chad starts like calling me. Hey, you want to go to this Bible study? And I'm thinking in my head, no, 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 no. And I'm like, yes. I'm like, oh, I said yes. <laughs> All right, there we go. I'm going to the Bible study. So we go to the Bible study and then he starts to invite me actually to the BCM. So right next door. <clears throat> start going to some of these events and there's this event that's really like praise and worship speaker a little bit of prayer um that they had and i don't remember how early on it was whether it was the first time i went or i don't know but it was pretty early on in that i'm at one of these events and i remember i'm sitting three quarters of the way maybe a little bit further than that back. And it hits me. It's like God died for me. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I know. Like, I know. I, I'm Catholic my whole life. I grew up this. I, 13 years of Catholic school. There's a crucifix on every wall. My mom, you know, like, I, I know this. God died for me. Got it. I was like, no, God died for me. I'm like, hmm. And I remember thinking, God, um, that's not really intelligent. Like, I thought you were smarter than that, you know? 
Like, I'm a punk, you know? Um, but it hits me. And I remember just thinking, like, wow. For me. And at that moment, I felt loved like I had never felt loved before. Um, and it just really penetrated. Like, if you could compare that to that emptiness that I felt that day, which again, I believe God, like I tried all the distractions and he put me in a place of silence. Like, hey, I'm not letting any of the distractions fill the void today because you need to feel this so that you will cry out for me. And and then in this moment was like all the things kind of leading up to another kind of key moment where it's like, hey, I know you, I know your sin, I know your character flaws, I know all those things. And like, I love you. And it just filled me. Um, So I remember again in that moment, like this very simple little prayer. I said, okay, God, I don't know what the rest of my life is going to be like, but I need to be wherever you are. Like I've come to realize that the one thing that is going to make me happy is you. And so I just need to be like wherever you are. Could there be a more honest, raw profession of faith in God? I need to be wherever you are. So where was he? Andrew started to find him in numerous places. He experienced Christ in a community of friends who showed him what it meant to have a living relationship with Jesus. Not merely Jesus the historical figure of long ago, but the same risen and alive right now. He found him in his word and the scriptures, and the more he began to prayerfully read them, the more his hunger for the word grew. Not only this, but he started to change. He still hung out with his old friends, but he avoided some of the things they used to do that led to emptiness. He'd go to the football games, but skip the pregame and the after party. They'd play basketball and fish together, but Andrew realized that he didn't need to drown himself in beer to really enjoy himself. In fact, maybe that wasn't real joy anyway. So things were changing, and in large part, it had to do with the Protestant friends he was making. And yet, he had grown up as a Catholic. For a while, he started to wonder if he would slowly make his way out of the Catholic Church and into a Protestant community. But he had a friend who was also Catholic who was going through the same kind of transformation. In fact, they were both being changed by the same community of Christians they were spending time with. I have a really good friend who became my, my best friend uh, in college then. Who we, he was a year younger than me in high school. We knew each other, we played football together, but we weren't close friends. But we we're kind of going through this same conversion at the same time. And, uh, and we lived three doors down from each other in, in college, which was so cool. Um, so we're going through this conversion together. We're going to mass, but then all, all week long, we're really kind of hanging out with these Protestants who are just this community that's forming us. Um, it's really amazing. And at some point, <clears throat> I was like, you know, 
I don't know if I like need to be or want to be Catholic. Um, like the Lord is, my life is so much different now and it's so amazing and so beautiful. And, uh, and, and this is the community of people like that this is happening. In. But, but, but I still was going to mass and something kept me. And to be honest, like certain times I was like, ah, like my mom would kick my butt. Like if I wasn't Catholic, you know, so I don't want my mom to kick my butt, you know, <laughs> like, and then my friend Clark, who we were going through this conversion at the same time, he's the one who really, like, as we had, we were like, the, there were there was another uh, person with us, but it was mainly kind of us where we're like the, the Catholics there. And he starts asking the questions about, like, the history of the church and the sacraments and the Eucharist. And he had known this deacon from his home parish that had kind of been involved in their youth group. So he starts asking him questions and um, then he's coming back and we're talking about it. Uh, and I'm like, hey, that all that stuff makes sense, you know. And then for me, it was really what kind of sealed the deal. Um, really, it was the Eucharist. That once I got convicted about Jesus's real presence in the Eucharist, even though I didn't understand it, but there was this interior, like the Lord just gave me the gift of faith in his presence in the Eucharist. And I'm like, I ain't going nowhere. You know, like I'm Catholic and I'm not leaving that. In these talks, I've had to say a good deal about prayer. And before going on to my main subject tonight, I'd like to deal with a difficulty some people find about the whole idea of prayer. In the preface Somebody to the classic Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis notes that his purpose in the book is to outline what is common to all forms of Christianity, fundamentally shared beliefs, like God is a trinity and Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. But this Mere Christianity, Lewis suggests, is not a replacement for the creeds of real existing communities. It's like being in the hall, he says, but halls aren't made to be lived in, rooms are. One might imagine, in this analogy, the Catholic Church being one room, Lutherans having their own, Baptists another, non-denominational Christians yet another, and so on and so forth. To quote Lewis, you must be asking which door is the true one, not which pleases you best by its paint and paneling. In other words, our participation in a believing community shouldn't be based on whether we like the preaching or the choir, whether we find the service boring or entertaining, or if we think we fit in with these people. What really matters is the truth. Where is the Lord in His truth and His holiness to be found? For Andrew... Though his faith was reawakened by his Protestant friends, the answer was inescapable. The right door was the Catholic one. We'll be back in a moment with part two of Andrew's story, in which he makes the bold step to enter seminary. Do you want to learn more about faith, theology, and service? It's Matt. And Rachel. Now, Rachel, I consider myself to be quite the connoisseur of the Franciscan experience, having won a TFE Olympics and have attended the last six years of the experience itself. 
Oh? Well then, perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about it. Well, it's a chance for rising high school juniors and seniors throughout the country to come form genuine community with other teens from all over, fun and games, and a chance to strengthen their relationship with Christ through daily mass and prayer time and lots more. Matt, where can we find out more information about the Franciscan experience? They can follow us on Instagram at FranUTFE underscore summer and on Facebook at the Franciscan experience. It's funny how, often, while the Lord is working enormously in our own hearts and lives, we discover that He's been mysteriously at work in the lives of our friends. Andrew had a high school friend who was also being drawn closer and closer to the Lord, and she invited him to be a fellow chaperone at their high school's senior retreat. Providentially, while there, he hears a priest, Father Jeff, who, unbeknownst to Andrew, was the diocesan vocations director, and Father Jeff gave a talk about the apostles. He comes and gives a talk about the call of the apostles. I never remember him hearing him say anything about the word vocation. If he said it, I don't remember it. I don't remember him saying anything about priesthood. What I remember the talk being is that the apostles were normal guys, and there was nothing particularly special about them. Uh, but they encountered Christ, realized that He fulfilled the deepest longing of their hearts, and so they said, Hey, I want to go wherever the heck you want me to go, Lord. I just want to be where you are. And that talk just spoke to my heart. So I'm in my room by myself after His talk. And I remember thinking to myself and kind of, praying and thinking to myself at the same time, I'm like, okay, what is the rest of my life going to be like? And I asked the Lord in that moment, I said, okay, Lord, give me a heart like the apostles. I'm I'm clearly far from them and where they are. And like, you got a lot of work to do on me, but I want a heart like them that where I can drop my nets, leave everything and go wherever you want me to go. I want a heart like the apostles. I want to go wherever you want me to go. But where did the Lord want him to go? That night, Andrew started pondering the possibilities. I had I was in biomedical engineering at the time, um, or, or or just before that, like. I was in biomedical engineering, again, engineering or medical school, but I had recently transferred to kinesiology because I had always loved physical therapy. Unfortunately, I was in the physical therapist's office more than I wanted to when I was in high school, but I loved it. It was like sports, there's a medical aspect, and you have this continuing relationship with someone that I just loved. So I thought, okay, I don't need to be, I don't need to be a doctor. I don't need to make that kind of money. I could be a physical therapist and it could be really awesome. And I thought, you know, I could be a teacher and a coach. I certainly wouldn't make a lot of money, but I think I would love it. Like I would love to be a teacher and a coach. And then out of nowhere, it, like I could be a priest. It's the first time that I ever remember that thought crossing my mind. 
and I literally laughed out loud because I was like, that didn't come from me. I have no clue where that came from. Like I busted out loud. Like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I thought maybe it's indigestion. I don't know what it likes. I don't know what that is. So I didn't even give it a second thought. Like I laughed, thought it was dumb. And that was that. So I walk out this, my room and I'm walking around the main part of the retreat center. And this lady comes up to me who was on the retreat as well. uh, Miss Sherry. And she says, Hey, have you ever thought about being a priest? And I said, no, I said, no. And then I was like, no, no, you actually did like a second ago. I'm like, no, I didn't think about it. I didn't think about being a priest. The thought literally zoomed through my consciousness. That's all that happened there. So no. Now I'm no spiritual director, but it seems like the Lord was trying to speak to Andrew, but he just wasn't quite ready to hear it. He kept ignoring his voice or shaking it off And he even tried to get away to the mountains for a semester of snowboarding and skiing. This is my sophomore year. And I had recently, the year before, gone on a a snowboarding trip. And then I went went during the Christmas my freshman year. I went during the Mardi Gras break my freshman year. uh, And I was just like, I need to be in the mountains. I went went again. um, So I signed up and I convinced a buddy of mine from home to sign up to go to Montana State for a semester the following fall so that we could go to school and be 20 minutes from the slopes uh, every day. And something in my heart was just uneasy about it. I'm like, gosh, I don't know. His friend, Sue, the same one who invited him to be a retreat chaperone, suggested he go talk to a priest. It just happened to be Father Jeff. So I go to his office, I'm sitting in his office, and I'm talking about this Montana thing and all this, and uh, Father Jeff and Father Jeff's style, like he's very direct and all this stuff. He's like, man, you're going to go to Montana. There aren't many Catholics in Montana. You're probably not going to be Catholic anymore. You shouldn't do that. And I'm just like, I don't, I, I don't remember all the things that he said, but I just remember going like, you know, yeah, I feel like I just need to stay here. And so that happens in the conversations. And then he asked me, you ever thought about being a priest? And I'm like, is this a conspiracy? <laughs> like, what is going on? And I told him, I'm like, you know, Father, no. Until, like, recently, like, with the talk thing or whatever. And, like, and this is what the Lord is. And I had already kind of told him what God was doing in my life. Um, as why I wasn't sure about going to Montana and all these things. So that's all I remember. He asked me the question. Uh, I'm walking out of his office. He says, hey, give your name and number to my secretary. And I'm like, okay. I've never had a one-on-one conversation with a priest before. That I don't know why he needs my name and number. Maybe this is protocol and I'm like a polite guy, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to not give it to him, right? So I'm giving it to him, and this lady walks by the desk of his secretary and says, oh, you guys are getting another one? And I'm like, what? what is she talking about? Like, I'm clueless. I'm clueless. So I go talk to my buddy, Clark. I'm like, hey, Clark. Man, I had this conversation with my father, Jeff, and this and this. I'm not going to Montana. I don't know how to tell Craig. I convinced Craig to go with me. Um 
da, da, da. He's like, oh, Father Jeff, he's the vocation director. And I was like, okay, what's that? <laughs> clueless, man, I'm clueless. He's like, oh, he's the guy who like recruits and helps guys go to seminary. And I'm like, no! I'm like, no, no. I gave him my number. Like, he has my number. Like, this is not good, man. Oh, so I just remember going, why did I talk to this man? Why did I give him my number? Fast forward that, right? It just this idea kind of never goes away. At one point, Father Jeff invites me to this quote-unquote banquet with the bishop, with other guys who are kind of considering the priesthood. And so he said, my little brother had a conversion and really all this stuff, and he's, it happened for him way earlier than me, and he's way more mature than me. Um, and so he says, invite your, invite your little brother. And I'm like, cool. So I have in my mind banquet. I'm thinking 40, 50 plus guys, right? I'm going to minimum 40. I have in my mind. We get there and it's me, my little brother, and one other guy. <laughs> and it's Archbishop, was Bishop Hughes at the time, Father Jeff, and another priest. And I'm like, whoa, uh uh. <laughs> This is like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not good, right? I'm in college. My little brother's in high school. This other guy's in high school. And they're kind of going down the line. Why are you thinking about being a priest? <laughs> and the one guy goes, and then my little brother goes, and they're just kind of like basic stuff. And I'm going, what the heck am I like? I don't know. So I just tell them like my conversion story and I, I, I don't know what else to say. And then I tell them the kind of experience after the talk and I'm just there. And as I'm saying all this, it's like the Lord is kind of telling me, hey, you need to really think about this. And there was a little bit of like a, be a beginning of an attraction to it. And I walked out of there going, what was that? I don't know if I'm mad or glad. <laughs> but that was just kind of another thing. And this, I, this priesthood thing just wouldn't go away. I would pop his head up here and there. And when I would allow myself to kind of think about it, there would be some level of excitement. Because it was really about surrender to Jesus. And then when I thought about the practical things, like, hey, bro, you're not going to get married in these times, I'm like, no, no. Um, and fear would come in and fear would drive it. Jesus kept on calling. But the Lord's call is never forceful or oppressive. He just continued to wait patiently for Andrew's response. In the meantime, though, Andrew was growing closer to his faith-filled friends, and one girl in particular, who just happened to be roommates and cousins with the girl Clark liked. So it's a pretty funny story. 
where we go to their apartment and Clark's in one room. And at the time, I don't know, students don't, some students now, they don't call it this, but we call it the DTR, define the relationship talk. So Clark's having the DTR with his now wife uh, in one room. And I'm having the DTR in another room with, with um, the, the girl that I had dated. Uh, and so they are both expecting this to happen. Like it was pretty clear what was going to be happening. But the beginning of my DTR was like, hey, I got something I want to talk to you about. Any guy knows this is the big moment, the DTR. The moment when you muster up the courage to move past all the texts and DMs and ambiguous group hangouts to finally tell her that you like her like really like her and andrew says um i'm kind of thinking about the seminary uh and she wasn't uh catholic uh um and so she's like oh and i'm like yeah um but like catholic seminary which would mean like potentially the priesthood uh i don't i don't i don't know like that but like that's a potential thing. <laughs> so, she she tells me afterwards she was she had a peppermint in her mouth and she's like I almost choked like she don't understand like you almost had to give me the Heimlich because I almost choked on this peppermint because I was not expecting that to come out of your mouth. <laughs> and then I was like, but so like I just had to tell you that. But I want to date you, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and just so you know that like this could potentially happen. But I really want to date you, you know. But I couldn't, I couldn't honestly say that without the fact that hey, this is like this thing is on my mind, and I can't kind of shake it. Okay, so not the smoothest DTR, but to his credit, Andrew had the integrity to tell her the truth from the get-go. In light of his honesty, they weren't sure what to do. So they both decided that he should go on a silent retreat and ask God to reveal the answer. Should he be a priest? Or should they start dating? This, friends, is how Andrew entered the vocational pressure cooker. I'll let him explain. I had this idea and we had this idea. I'm going to go on the silent retreat. I'm going to figure it out. Like, hey, if the Lord wants me to be a priest, I'm, I'm going to be a priest and we'll be friends. Great. And if the Lord doesn't want me to be a priest, we're going to date. And it's going to be awesome. That was uh, some really high expectations, let's just say, you know, going on the retreat. So I go on the retreat and I'm freaking out because I got all this pressure, like I need to make a decision. And I'm feeling like, hey, be a priest. And I'm like, I'm not ready. And I don't know what to do with that. So there's like a lot of anxiety. So I actually remember, I'm, so you're supposed to meet with your spiritual director once a day. I'm grabbing my spiritual director like four times a day. I'm like, hey, hey, man, we need, we need to talk. Like, he thought I was going to leave. Like, he's like, this kid is going to bolt. Um, well, there's one day that I'm on this bench outside of Grand Coteau. <clears throat> And I felt uh, the like priesthood, but it wasn't in freedom. And and I was like, no. And then I felt myself like saying no. And then I just felt so much shame. And so I'm just like, 
Like, what? I have no clue what to do. And it was so, I was so caught up in like the anxiety storm of it in that moment that I literally put my hands on the bench and started to move like I was going to take off running. Like I was going to physically run away. And then in that moment, I'm like, so yeah, you're in pretty good shape right now. Like, and you know, you could probably run pretty far, but eventually you, <laughs> you got to stop running. And as I sat there, I'm like, okay, what is going on? This is crazy. So I go meet my spiritual director and he very wisely, uh, he was a, a novice at the time. His father, John Brown, he's a Jesuit priest at Jesuit high school in New Orleans right now. Um, he said, Hey, the discernment question about whether you're going to be a priest or not, you need to put that on the shelf. You're not ready to make that decision. You need to learn how to be friends with Jesus again. And that hit me, that pierced my heart in such a way that I knew he was right. And it was so freaking humbling because I'm like, no, I'm the guy who had the conversion. I'm the guy who's like helping lead the Bible studies now. I am friends with Jesus. But I very existentially knew in that moment, like, bro, but you don't, you don't trust him like you need to trust him. No one, the priest was teaching Andrew, can hear and respond to Jesus's call with clarity and freedom without really knowing him personally. And in that relationship, trusting not only what he has for you, but trusting him, full stop, surrendering to him, allowing his lordship to have dominion over your heart, because he is good and he is love. So, leaving the retreat with good direction, but not necessarily the concrete path he was hoping for, Andrew returned to his friends. So I come back and I'm, I'm telling my friends, and particularly Clark, uh, his now wife, and, and, and this other girl. And they're like waiting for my answer. You know, everybody's waiting for my answer. I'm like, uh, I need to be friends with Jesus again. I need to learn to be a deep, you know, to trust the Lord more. Um, so I don't know about the seminary and I don't know about the priesthood. And so if you're willing to like walk this journey with me, I'd like to date you while I'm discerning this. Uh, and she said yes. And so we, we started dating and, um, and it was a really beautiful relationship in a lot of ways. Uh, so grateful to God for it because it taught me a lot. And it showed me what a virtuous relationship could be like. It's probably worth pausing for a brief moment here. You might be thinking to yourself, wait, a future priest dating someone? Isn't that weird? Well, no, actually or at least not at this point in his discernment. Let me be clear, seminarians shouldn't be dating. But the point I want to make is that we shouldn't think of priests as men who dislike women or who repress their sexual nature. Yes, priests who aren't married, which is the vast majority of them, are called to celibacy. 
But celibacy isn't the repression of sexuality. It's the voluntary offering of it to God. And that offering is a good offering. In fact, it would be hard to believe that a man discerned a vocation to the priesthood correctly if they didn't see the beauty of the other vocations, like married life. Discernment is a choice between goods, not between something good and something considered bad. If it were, the choice would be easy. Pick the good thing. But a priest is an ordinary man with ordinary desires just like the rest of us. And just as a layman needs to grow in chastity to better harness his ability to love, so must a priest grow in a special form of chastity so that his love of others can be ordered in a life of celibacy. All that to say that Andrew being in a healthy Christian relationship for the moment actually makes a lot of sense. But that didn't mean it was easy for him or his girlfriend at the time. So as this idea of the priesthood <clears throat> um, wouldn't go away, like it's, and then the relationship is going well, I started getting mad at God. And I, I remember one conversation with him. I'm like, Lord, leave me alone. I'm like, okay, wait. That's a really poor choice of words. <laughs> like, I don't want you to leave me alone. Like, I really, Lord, please bless me, <laughs> you know, and be near me. But if you could stop it with the priesthood thing, that would make me so happy. It really would. Um, and he, he didn't. Uh, and at some point along the way, Father Jeff, because I still had talked to him a little bit, he had encouraged me to get a spiritual director. And so Father Vic Messina, he had uh, rec- um, suggested to be my spiritual director. So I would, I would, particularly as I'm dating this girl, I am going to see Father Vic. And I'm going there like I'm going to have to break up with my girlfriend and feeling a heavy weight about if I really want to follow the Lord, like I got to go to seminary because it won't go away and it's in my prayer. And there was this heaviness about it. And so I would leave there. He would just be like, hey, we talked through things. And he would always say, the Lord is never going to call you out of obligation or heaviness ever. It's not going to be out of fear. It's not going to be out of anxiety. It's not going to be an obligation. It's not going to be in heaviness. The Lord is going to call you in peace, joy, and freedom. And so you don't go anywhere and you don't make any big decision until there's peace and joy and freedom. So don't break up with your girlfriend. And I'm like, I like you. This is great. You know, I'm like, I can do this. Um, and it was really, it would be like this cycle of this as I'm going to see him every month. I would kind of get to the point where I'm like, gosh, I got to do this. I know I got to do this. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, he would just kind of be like, no, chill. Um, wait, keep doing what you're doing. Keep praying. Keep pursuing the Lord. Sounds like it's a healthy relationship. Uh, you're honest with yourself. You're honest with the Lord. You're honest with her. You're honest with me. When there's peace and joy about whatever, then do that. Until there's that, stay where you are. I'm like, great. The Lord calls with peace, freedom, and joy not shame and pressure. With this excellent advice in hand, Andrew and his girlfriend attend a large Christian college student conference, where a speaker's message once again convicts his heart. 
And there was this preacher who had given a talk on um, the uh, like Isaiah's call, uh, where Isaiah, like the Lord is calling Isaiah, and Isaiah is like, "No, I'm a man of unclean lips and impure heart." And the Lord's like, "No, like Isaiah, I'm calling you." And then the you know the the angel comes and he he brings the the burning coal and he cleanses him. And then Isaiah is ultimately like, "Lord, here I am, send me." Like here I am, send me, and that here I am, send me, just wrecked me, and I'm like yes again, back to the apostles, all the thing, back to the moment in that chapel where like Lord, you have convicted me of your love, like I just want to be wherever you want me to be, so I'm just praying Isaiah is Isaiah six, I'm just praying Isaiah six, Lord here I am, send me, like I just want this, I just want this, I just. Want this. If that weren't enough. Just before the conference, Andrew had heard a priest mention as part of his vocation story that he asked the Lord for a sign that he was meant to be a priest, a rose that someone would give him without even knowing he had made a little deal with God. Andrew decided, hey, if it worked for him, maybe it'll work for me. So he asked the Lord for a rose during the conference. We're driving home and... We stop at this gas station and there's these, if you've ever seen like those little gas station roses that are in a glass, like these little glass cylinders, like really tiny. It's like I'm paying for like my Snickers and whatever I'm drinking. And I look at that thing and I'm like, huh, I was like, got it. You know, it would take, it would take more faith and trust in you if I got one of those little roses because it's not a real rose. It's like a fake rose, you know, than if I got like a real one, you know, it's just like this, not a conscious thinking about it. Just like going, huh, yeah, you know, that's that. So I'm, I'm in the driver's seat. Everybody's getting in and my girlfriend's the last one to get in. And she's like, hey, I got you something. And she bought me one of those little roses. <laughs> and I'm like, she gives it to me and I'm just staring at it. And I'm going, hey, God, it would take more confidence and trust in you if I got one a, a rose like that. And I'm just staring at it. And she, and she's like, what? You don't like it? And I'm like, oh, no, yeah. Wow. Oh, this is, this is both, like, nice and funny. Like, this is great. Like, this is, she's like, yeah, I thought it was cute and funny and, you know, gas station weird. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm like, okay. So we drive home, and I drive home in silence. And I'm just like, what just happened? What just, I, dro- I drove like the last two or three hours home. It's like, what just happened? He got a rose. First the call of Isaiah, and now a stinking rose. You'd think the message was clear, but it wasn't. But a steady piece of wisdom helped Andrew cut through the fog. So we get back, and I'm freaking out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I call Father Vic. I tell him the story. And this is where like, I'm okay with telling the sign part of it because Father Vic is like, hey, you don't make a decision. Like, even if that happened, if there's not peace and freedom and joy, you don't make a decision. So if you got this quote unquote sign, and even if like all the little things happened and it feels like a heaviness and a weight, no. That's not how the Lord moves. Like sometimes those things happen and it's not the Lord. And when you know it's the Lord, 
is when there's persistent peace and freedom and joy. And I'm like, I love this man. And uh, so I was like, okay, like that, ultimately that thing, that quote unquote sign that I asked for and the thing that I got, if the Lord uses it for that great, and if he doesn't, fine, because what it really is about trusting the Lord and following him and like the deeper movement of the heart. So I just sat with that and that, that just gave me so much more freedom to kind of move and step. But then what that started really from the Isaiah 6 and all the things is the Lord was just like, hey, yeah, like I really want you to take this step. And I started to get, be more at peace. Like, Lord, if you ask me, then I will. It was more of that. Like, if you ask me, then I will. Like, here I am, send me. It just became this theme of my prayer and this disposition towards the Lord and my desire more than anything else. Peace and freedom and joy. Andrew started to trust the Lord even more, and it helped him step with freedom toward him. Those steps started to follow a new turn on the path before him. Maybe two, three weeks after that whole experience uh, of the conference, I just remember being in um, my girlfriend's apartment. And the next thing you know, I'm just telling her the story. And I'm telling her, I'm going to seminary. And then we need to break up. Like I didn't plan the conversation. It just happened. And there was like the gift of so much peace and freedom in the midst of the conversation. Uh, and when I walked down the steps of her apartment and I walked outside, it was such a lightness and a freedom, even though it was difficult and hard, that it was very, very clear that this was the Lord and that this is what he wanted. A hard decision, no doubt, but one full of peace and freedom. The next semester, Andrew filled out an application for seminary. Basically, I told the Lord, Okay, God, I'll go to the seminary for one year. Good or bad, I'll stay the whole year. Um, and I kind of expected to go for a year, get it out of my system, or maybe it was a little bit more of a hope. And uh, year after year after year after year, I stayed. And it took me really four and a half years in seminary um, to come to a place of like real deep, deep freedom. And and does and like yes. This is what I feel like not only the Lord wants me to do, but I want to do, uh, which is really awesome. Yeah, so I've been a priest now. Uh, it be 12 years this summer. Editor's note. We recorded this four years ago before the pandemic started, which means it's now almost 16 years that Andrew has been Father Andrew. Looking back on the journey, what is he most grateful for? The Lord's mercy. Uh, I deserve nothing of what he's given me. And um, even that was 20 years ago now. Um, I still deserve none of it. 
He's very, very, very generous and very merciful. Uh, I, that's what I'm most grateful for. This B-side of the Dunces Corner is brought to you by Father Andrew, an ordinary guy transformed into a good and faithful priest, as well as Catherine and yours truly, and by the Thoughtful Theology community at Franciscan Missionaries of Our Lady University in Baton Rouge. The podcast is in no way officially affiliated with the university or representative of its own positions. The thoughts expressed herein belong solely to the speaker, and sometimes only temporarily. If you are a man between the ages of 17 and 55 and think you might be called by Jesus Christ to the priesthood, then it's our hope that you'll reach out to your vocations director and that you especially grow in friendship and trust in the Lord. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate us and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on The Dunce's Corner. Peace. Peace.